So when we started a brokerage company, I think I very much thought we would be the best brokerage because I teach everybody what I learned in new home sales. And I remember actually thinking to myself that sphere of influence was something that Long and Foster had just created because they didn't want to spend any money on marketing. And then as we started growing and I started watching the production of our top agents and realizing that it was all coming from their sphere of influence, you know, that's when, you know, we were able to take the, the, the company to the next level. You're listening to The Real Estate Sessions. I'm your host, Bill Risser, with Fidelity National Title, Tampa District. Thanks for tuning in as we uncover the stories of leaders in our industry. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Episode 208 of The Real Estate Sessions Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for telling a friend. Uh, it's, it's very exciting to continue, to continue to do this project that I thought might only last about 10 episodes four years ago. But I'm having a great time. There are so many people in our industry that I still have yet to talk to. Uh, my guest today is a prime example. I've waited way too long to get this gentleman on the show. I'm talking about Eddie Berenbaum. Eddie is the, let's see, I think it's president, co-founder, chief marketing officer. I think Eddie does a lot of different things with Century 21 Redwood Realty. Can't wait to get a story. Eddie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks Thanks for having me. Yeah, my, my official title is president, although I... Um, I have two equal business partners, Nick Pasquini and, and Sean Military. So I, I often joke, uh, but there's a lot of truth to this, that, that I, I was the one that the title president meant the most to, and that's how I got it. And, <laughs> and in turn, um, I think they like it because if, you know, God forbid we ever come into a situation that, that where we have liability, they can always say, well, talk to Eddie, he's the president. Right, um, perfect. And, and I also say that, that it, in a sense, it gives me a little less power because, uh, by taking the title, you know, I've kind of got this guilt that I walk around with where I feel like I need to to uh, to take their opinions into even more account. So nice. Well, that sounds like a perfect partnership. Seriously. Yeah, it is. Yeah, well, it, it's the um, I think it's the key to our growth since 2002 is we uh, initially when we were agents, you know, primarily just, you know, doing agent duties as a team before the, the actual brokerage part of us took off. We've always shared everything in, in equal parts and. And that's just what what works for us. So that's great. We're going to talk more about that in a little bit. I want to, I li- I love to find out where my guests come from. And um, and you're, I don't think I've had a whole lot of people that I think are, are Western Pennsylvanians. So let's. Did you grow up in Pittsburgh? Who are you? Yes, I grew up in <laughs> Pittsburgh. I grew yeah. Up. So first of all, um, I know a few people from Pittsburgh. Uh, I used to work for the Padres, and Larry Lacino, who was the owner, co-owner okay. of the Padres, was a Pittsburgh guy. Just diehard, love the city. Um, tell me, I, I think there are some misconceptions about Pittsburgh and you probably know them as well as anyone. Would you mind sharing? Yeah, a couple? sure. Yeah. Yeah. So misconceptions about Pittsburgh is, it's tough because when you're, um, part of the Pittsburgh, uh, diaspora, like myself, I think you sort of look at it as the perfect place that you made a conscious decision not to live in. So, <laughs> um, misconceptions I think would be that it is a city in decline when very much it's a city on the rise. In fact, uh, it, it has an amazing restaurant scene right now that I, I didn't really get to experience as a kid. And I've been working so much as an adult that when I, when I go back to visit, which is, you know, my dad still lives there in the, in the, the house I grew up in. So that's still five, six, eight times a year, but we don't, we don't go out to the new trendy restaurants. We kind of have our own, 
tried and true. But there's a great restaurant scene, a lot of chefs that find it not feasible to open up their restaurant in Manhattan or even Brooklyn these days are moving to Pittsburgh. Um, Allegheny County has made the permitting process really easy for them to get up and running in a, in a matter of weeks versus maybe a matter of years in, in New York City. So they've actually attracted a lot of talent. Um, I think that's going to continue largely because uh, the I can't speak for the, the millennials and, and whatever we're calling the next generation, but the, the cost of living is so much lower in a town like Pittsburgh. And the infrastructure is so amazing because the the Carnegie's and the melons and all that uh, wealth that was built during the railroad and the steel um, ages, they invested so much into libraries and infrastructure that you've got this world-class city that sort of lost its half its population in the 70s. And but has all the features that you'd want in in a city for the future. So mm. I, I um I think that it's it's definitely a city that's not only on the rise, but it's already already kind of there. Yeah, I, I had one opportunity to visit there a couple of years ago um, on a little tour through parts of the the east I'd I'd never been, and um, you talked about the restaurant scene. I, I did go to a place called Church Brew Works. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, very cool place. And I think for people that have never been there, and all you've seen are the aerial shots of a. Uh, a pirates game or a Steelers game is it is really in a it, it is down in a valley like you mm-hmm. you can't imagine how steep it is yeah. down in that that area right and then mm-hmm. obviously the you got to climb up and out of downtown to get out to the other areas right yeah you do yeah. The, the hills are are severe uh, funny story in that so I walked to my elementary school and and I was always a little afraid of riding a school bus no joke uh, my school bus, the first day of sixth grade, wrecked on a hill. The The driver didn't uh, was inexperienced with a stick shift, and she stalled out and wound up crashing backwards into a telephone pole. And I often joke that the first time I ever saw my, my, my future college roommate, Nate Lahendra's mom, she, she was running out of the house. And I, I was in bawling, and I kind of thought we were okay until I saw the look on her face. Um, and then I thought, oh my, we're about to to meet. I'm about to meet my doom. So the hills <laughs> wow. are severe. They are severe. Yeah, I, it was something that uh, a kid who grew up in San Diego and lived in Phoenix, and now I'm in Florida. Wow, it was very impressive. So I, I have to bring this up, and I I, I almost feel bad about doing this, mm-hmm. but um, no Big Ben, no AB, no Le'Veon Bell. How are you doing? How are you feeling? Well, these last couple of weeks have brought on a bunch of changes that I didn't anticipate. Ben Roethlisberger losing him was one of them. I am not the best Steelers fan to get a gauge on what's actually happening with because I see the I see the the Steelers world through gold colored glasses, and I could I can show you a route if you want to spend the rest of the podcast talking about it, where we could go thirteen and three this year and win the Super Bowl. So. I believe the pieces are there. I think the, um, um, and I think we're going to adapt to the change as well. And I think the biggest question is going to be, what do we do with um, Mason Rudolph and Ben Roethlisberger after he wins a Super Bowl in his uh, first year as a starter? So I think that's what we're going to be talking about next year: is uh, did did the Steelers make the right decision? You know, having Big Ben back up Mason Rudolph. So, best 
answer ever to any question in 208 episodes. Yeah. Congratulations on that. You're, you're welcome. <laughs> um, let's, so let's get to, to young Edward. You're in high school and you decide to go to Penn State, which yeah. probably is, a, I'm a, is that an easy decision to make for somebody that grows up in Pennsylvania? Yeah, <laughs> it, it, is, it was for me. So my parents met at Penn State shortly after graduation. They met at a Penn State branch campus they were both working at. Um, and as life would dictate, uh, my future was basically I was destined to go to Penn State. I met my wife at Penn State. Both of my business partners, Sean and Nick, went to Penn State. Both my sisters went to Penn State. So literally every member of my nuclear family went to Penn State. It's the only school I applied to. I had two backups. Uh, Miami of Ohio was one of them, and Allegheny College was another one of them. Allegheny College was 20000 all in, which I didn't think my dad would say yes to. And Miami of Ohio required an essay. And I got accepted to Penn State before homecoming my senior year. And so I just, I never applied anywhere else. I knew that's where I wanted to go. Yeah. Yeah. I know that um, the Penn State alum that I know are, you know, incredibly passionate about the school, the area, the the, the entire uh, experience. Um, so, you know, I'm sure for you, that's you're you're in that same category. Yeah. I tell my um, my daughter that we're going to that, that my wife and I are going to live in the dorms next door to her. So. <laughs> Good. She's, she's just starting to get the idea that that's that that. Might not be fun for her, but right. How old is she? She's ten. Yeah, she's gonna mm-hmm. figure it out real quick. So mm-hmm. let's let's talk about what was was real estate on the radar for you at that time. Does that you know? Because you got in it really quick. So how what were you? What was your major in at Penn State? And so, how quick did that happen? So it was marketing, and okay. I um I I went into Penn State and didn't have a declared major as a freshman. My intention was political science, but okay. then and. It was a great it, it was a great semester to get started. I had the pleasure of seeing H.W. Bush speak do a campaign speech on the on the old main lawn. I was looking for substance. I wasn't aware that there's things like campaign speeches that they they give a couple times a day. So I was a little disappointed by that, but still psyched that that's the only living president I've ever seen. Um, aside from a couple inaugurations where I was way far back, where I, I was that close to a to a sitting president, that was pretty cool. My dad's fraternity brother was was actually running um, as a as a Democrat for a state house of representative seat, and so as part of my poli sci, I was able to work on his campaign, and he got slaughtered. They um, I don't know if this is good for the podcast, but it's pretty funny. <laughs> I I had no idea any that that politics was polarizing. I had. Um, <laughs> I had I had literally registered as a Democrat simply because there wasn't a Republican primary. And the first election I was going to be able to vote in was the primary. And I thought, well, I want to be able to vote and this would be really boring. Um, so that was I had I, I didn't even understand a difference between the parties. And they sat me in front. They dropped me off in front of a Catholic church in Center County, Pennsylvania. And um and the idea, I'm assuming that this must have been a heavily Republican area because the disgust I got on a lot of people's faces when I tried to hand them the pamphlet for um, my lefty Democrat that I was campaigning for was was quite shocking. And then they forgot to pick me up. And so I had to walk like a mile to a payphone 
And then they said, Hey, we forgot the kid from, you know, St. Agnes. And, and they picked me up. <laughs> um, and then I, I went to, uh, to, to the democratic party where we see, where we saw Bill Clinton win. And that was, a, and, and the long story short, the process left me with the idea that politics is fascinating, but it's not for me because I thought here's something I can devote my entire life to and, and not be able to make any, even the slightest iota of change in. And that, that just didn't make me happy. So I never took another political science class after that. So I, I think that was a good life experience. There was something I look back at fondly, but after that one semester, I had no interest in ever being part of politics again. I wanted to be able to control my own destiny. Right. And, and in real estate, that's entirely possible, yep. obviously. You've proven that. How, how did real estate become you know, a part of your life? Yeah, so the best answer to that would be to take you to my end of my freshman semester. I come back to Pittsburgh, and I totally spaced on needing to get a job. And so I started answering ads for internships. And the first internship I ad, I answered, I'll, I'll jump to the end of it, I would have been selling things that were largely encyclopedias. They build them as something else. And they didn't offer me the job because they said, we could see you being a really good salesperson, but we think that um, you'll be a pain in the ass that will, you know, bring the rest of the group down if you have a bad day. And so uh, with all due respect, we wish you the best of luck. And so then I went to my next one and this one, they handled it differently and they took to me. And so I came home and my dad says, how'd it go? And I said, oh, great. I got invited to a follow-up interview tomorrow and I'm going to go. He says, what are you going to be doing? And I said, you know, they haven't told me yet. And then I come back the next day and he says, how did it go? And I said, it went great. They offered me a job. He said, what are you going to be doing? I said, you know, they say that they'll get into details on that tomorrow. So now I'm day three at the, we're in class for like four hours. And at the end of the morning session, right before we're going to break for lunch, the guy comes in with a rainbow vacuum cleaner. And I kid you not half of the class, there was probably 10 of us, five people just got up and walked out of the room. And <laughs> And I was just freaking glued because my dad had always poked fun at my cousin, Christine, because she had sold rainbow vacuum cleaners. And I was like, this is, you know, this is something I want to understand. And so I, I stayed, I was one of five. I went out on my first sales call and I think this changed the trajectory of the rest of my life. I finished my, uh, I'm sure crummy, you know, canned presentation at the time. And this woman looks at me and she says, you know, I saw a demonstration of this five years ago and I, I've always wished I was going to buy one. So I'm like, bam, I got this. And then she said, but I just found out today that I'm losing my job. And then obviously my emotions were like, oh no. And she says, so I guess it's now or never. Can I write you a check? And then I experienced a high driving home from that appointment that you could only really, you know, I could only equate to, to scoring a touchdown. And I only scored, you know, a limited number of touchdowns in my high school career. So, and I could recount each of them to you. And it was just, it was just exhilarating. And I've been kind of riding that sales high for the rest of my life. And, and I went on that summer and I was like the top 
collegiate salesman for, you know, the rainbow vacuum cleaner, Rex Air Company. And, and my buddies is uh, eventually Sean, who's now one of my business partners. They would remark because I'd go away for a weekend and I'd come back with all this money and they'd, they always were curious what I was doing. And I finally leveled with them because they thought it was something bad that I was actually selling these vacuum cleaners. But I would, I'd leave college for a weekend. I'd borrow somebody else's car because I didn't have one. And I would just go to these, you know, central PA towns with, with three vacuum cleaners. And I wouldn't come back until I'd sold all three. And I'd make commissions of three, $400 on each of them. And that just felt like, you know, that would probably last me for, you know, half a semester. That is awesome. Once again, Eddie, I'm already, I'm trying to figure out, you know, I, I always open with a cold open on my podcast where I, I have this great little 30 second clip to kind of introduce the guest. You've already given me 17 options. Okay. <laughs> It'll get better because I think, yeah. All right. Yeah. Let's, so let's talk about um, you. I know that when you started in the business, you started with a new home builder, right? Yes. So. I can tell you that happened. So my business partner, Sean Military, I, I can tell you exactly where I was. I was in my apartment. I was a, uh, it's important to note, I was what I would consider a super duper senior at the time. Um, I laugh about that because a lot of people call their their fifth year the super senior. So my sixth year was the super duper senior year. Yeah. Um, I had, truth be told, I, it only took me nine semesters to graduate. I had taken a year off. I did two internships. I did one at Walt Disney World. And then I did the second one. I've already told you I was a vacuum cleaner salesperson. So I, I was a big REM fan. And I went and I I just contacted from Orlando. I'd always wanted to live in Athens, Georgia, because of REM and the B-52s. So I'd found a, a rainbow distributorship when I was that was in Athens, Georgia. And I called him up and said, hey, how about I come down and I sling some vacuum cleaners for you? Uh, for a semester and they were kind of, you know, they'd never got that call before, but they, 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 they allowed, they, they set me up with an apartment. And so I sold vacuum cleaners there for uh, five, six months until I was ready to come back to Pennsylvania and graduate. So there I am a super duper senior. Uh, my, all my, most of my closest friends had, had graduated and, and I'm about a month from my own graduation and the phone rings and it's, and it's Sean military, who's now my business partner. And he said, Hey Eddie, um, Hey, what are you going to do after graduation? And I said, Oh, I said, I'm not sure. I, uh, I said, I know this though. I'm not going to get a job until I decide where I want to live because, you know, I want to pick where I'm going to live, you know, based on where I want to live, not, not because of where I got a job. And he said, well, I've got a job I think you'd be perfect for in, in DC. And I said, no, probably not interested and he said, um, well, I'm making a lot of money. And I said, well, what's a lot of money? And he said, he told me. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll come down this week. And I and and so that was, I, I wound up interviewing. And he was, to, to jump to this, to, to what he offered me, was he was working for a home builder in the D.C. area, Richmond American Homes. And I wound up, uh, asked his dad, you know, for his advice, because I knew he was in real estate. And we'd gotten to know each other from me coming down to visit Sean in the summertime. And so his dad said, well, I wouldn't interview with just one company. I'd, I'd interview with a couple. So came down to two interviews, um, Richmond American Homes and Toll Brothers. And I wound up going with Richmond American because Sean worked there. And also, I love the fact that Toll Brothers wanted to put me through a fairly rigorous uh, training campaign. And, and Richmond American, God bless them, in, in 2000, 2000, no, this would have been 1998. They were willing to say, Here, here's the keys, just go at it. 
And nice. they had taken that same approach with Sean, and he was one of their top salespeople. And long story short, I took the job, and, and I've never looked back. Sean and I were the top two salespeople at the company. After about a year and a half, I believe it was, I took a job to go into management. And one of my first hires was our third business partner, Nick Pasquini, who was my good friend, Mary, that I'd gone to, I grew up with in Bethel Park, Pennsylvania. That's our suburb of Pittsburgh. And we went to high to middle school, high school, Penn State together. And I always knew Nick as Mary's younger brother, but Nick was graduating Penn State about this time. And so he was, I think, my first interview, uh, and I sort of paid it forward with him. And the three of us worked together at Richmond American for about more or less three, four years, and then decided to, to start our own company. Now, before you start your own company, um, looking at your history, you take another sabbatical. Yeah. So we, I knew I needed to get some travel out of my system. Um, and I'm, if I'm going to be completely honest, you know, that was really inspired by my now wife. She had, you know, fall in love with a pretty easygoing, laid back uh, guy at Penn State. And then, you know, you, two years after graduation, you know, she's in a serious relationship with a complete workaholic who's, who derives the, the greatest pleasure in life from, you know, hanging out with Nick and Sean and talking about how they can sell more new construction houses. And literally we would, our days off were Wednesday and Thursday. So we had no weekends off at all. We were allowed to take four weekend days a year off. So you can imagine hmm. that's really boring for, um, you know, a, a, a quote unquote normal person who's only a couple years, you know, early twenties. Uh, so our schedule, it worked for me because Sean and I would just go walk around our competitions houses under construction and talk about ways we could could sell why richmond american was better but long story short one day my wife just my then girlfriend decides to just move to spain and uh we didn't exactly break up but that's not a strong endorsement for a multi-year <laughs> relationship and yeah. so she left in let's call it november and i went to go visit her in in seville or sevilla spain in for the for, for uh, the New Year's. And I, I took a walk around town. I thought, I'm never going to be able to compete with this. So I've either got to find a way to back out of my job at Richmond American and come join her over here, or she's just never going to come back to me because I can't compete to this li with this lifestyle. So I kind of put together a whole plan. And uh, Nick and I were talking about starting a real estate company our working title for it was Rockstar Realty, although we we, um, we were never going to actually call it Rockstar Realty, I should point out. Not that there's anything wrong with that name, but we, we wanted something that, that said Rockstar without saying Rockstar. We were going to start it in San Diego, and but before that, we wanted to do an around-the-world trip. So we had decided that Jenny and I, um, Jenny being my wife who was then living in Spain, and his girlfriend who's now his wife Sarah the four of us were going to backpack around the world together and so before we could put that into action I had to get back together with my girlfriend so what I did was um, good call yeah thank you so I had it all planned in my head she just didn't know it so ah, what yeah. happened is I call my one of my other college roommates Chris and I said hey man you want to go backpack through Europe this summer and he after some convincing agreed me agreed to and then I just kind of nonchalantly emailed Jenny and said, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm going to be backpacking through Europe. Maybe we should meet up. And so we wind up um, 
connecting and we traveled through Italy and Greece and my trap, uh, my trap, my plan, I just said that out loud, worked <laughs> wonderfully. And we got back together. I won the girl back and everything was going well with her. And I said, hey, we should backpack around the world, which she agreed to. And everything was going really well until September 11th happened. And um, crazy story. So my buddy Chris and I, Jenny and her friend had gone back to Spain. So our month or so in Italy and Greece was over. And Chris and I were in Paris and he was going to go take the channel that day, September 11th, and then fly back to uh, the States on September 12th. And we were in Montmartre, at, which is the highest point in Paris, at an Irish bar. And we decided we'd have one last beer before he jumped on the train. So a woman yells out her window. We were, we were in a narrow alley at the time. Are there any Americans down there? And Chris and I stood up and she said, get to a television New York City and Washington, D.C. have just been attacked. And so it's like I get emotional just thinking about it. We go into this Irish bar and we turn on the TV and one of the towers had already fallen. And then mm. so they had these stupid pay phones at the time that you couldn't put coins in them. Uh, you had to get a, a card. So I had I, first thing I wanted to do is call my uh, girlfriend, now wife. And so I, I kind of running around the streets of Paris trying to buy a payphone card, communicating really poorly. But I finally get one and I put it in and I called her. And um, it, by the, the second tower had fallen by the time I, I talked to her. Needless to say, where this relates to the story is, is my business partner, Nick, uh, was about to put his house on the market. And so he he did, and because it was in the D.C. area and the, the real estate market was affected, he couldn't sell it. So this is relevant only because it kind of pushed our travels back a full year. And so what what wound up happening was we adjusted our plans where instead of traveling the world together for a year, we would just we would kind of travel for the last month where Jenny and I were wrapping up our travels in China and Sarah and Nick were just starting theirs. And then the idea was, I would start Redwood Realty in San Diego by myself, and then Nick would join me after about a year. But we were in China in the Tiger Leaping Gorge doing this like three-day trek and looking at the most spectacular views. And, I, and, I, and at the time, so I had, I'd moved to Northern Virginia, and I never really fell in love with Northern Virginia. I fell in love with real estate, but it really – wasn't my favorite place to live at the time. And, and, but after traveling for about a year and a half, I realized that, that it's not that I didn't, I was unhappy with Northern Virginia, but I was unhappy with sort of the way that life works, which is um, you don't get the summers off. Uh, that was kind of the biggest thing. And, um, and it's just, it's not as structured as you had in college. So it's, it's it sounds funny to hang my hat going from September 11th to not having the summers off. But this is relevant only because I remember the end of my first year, I like way exceeded my any type of sales or revenue goals I'd ever thought of. And I remember going to bed on, uh, probably didn't go to bed till January 1st, 1999, but you get the point. I woke yeah. up January morning and January, the morning of January 1st. And I thought, wow, my 1999 has already started. I don't even have a summertime to like kind of adjust to it. So it's just kind of this nonstop thing. 
And so I realized that what everything I thought I disliked about Northern Virginia, I really actually just kind of disliked about life. And then I, and then the, this, the stupidity of, of believing you could open a brokerage in a town that you have no idea what it is or where anything is. You know, I thought to myself, what am I going to tell these people on day one? I know nothing about general brokerage and I have zero familiarity about the area. I'm sure I could have somewhat pulled it off, but I thought to myself, this would be so much easier to do in Northern Virginia. And I said to Nick, I said, this is kind of the most consequential conversation I've ever had. I said, what if we called Sean and we asked Sean, Hey, if we start rockstar realty in Northern Virginia, would he join us? And so we did, we waited till, you know, I think we were 12 hours difference in the time zone. So we, we called Sean from a payphone, and he immediately said yes. And, and that's kind of, that's how we started Redwood Realty, what became Redwood Realty. Um, and then Nick said to me another consequential question. He says, well, what are you going to, what do, what should we call the company? And I said, I've been thinking about Redwood. And I said, he, hear me out. I could tell the look on his face that he wasn't impressed. I said, it's the tallest tree in the forest. Um, so that, that, that is success. That's rock star. I said, it's got a really wide trunk. That's stability. That's kind of everything that, that we're not at this point. We're a brand new company. And I remember I asked the founder of Richmond American Homes, Larry Meisel, why he picked the name Richmond. And he said, we spent a week as Meisel builders and we realized that, that we needed a name that sounded like it would have been around for a long time. He said, so I thought Richmond, Richmond, Virginia, people would and keep my, their, their builder out of Colorado. He said, um, it just, we kind of ran with it. So we changed our name to first Richmond Homes and then it turned out that was taken. So we became Richmond American Homes. So I kind of applied that logic to it. And I said, it's, it's got a wide trunk. It sounds stable. It's found in California, which is, is, is very, very liberal. So that would kind of appeal to that. You know, it's, it's very stable. And I, I, I ventured that more conservative folks would like the stability of working with a tree. And uh, kind of the other vision I was going for is if you go back to model homes, you know, so in new homes, we were all about driving people to the model and then convincing them that this is, this is where they want to live and then selling them another house. Model homes always have pictures of trees because very few people ever move to a neighborhood and say, you know, this place is perfect, except for I wish there weren't so many freaking trees. And so if you look at model homes, there's pictures of trees everywhere. You go, you look at the dining room table, you have a dining room table. They've got a plate, a charger, and then a big freaking acorn on the plate. That's how much people like trees. I remember thinking to myself, who thinks they're going to eat an acorn? So I think with Richmond American, and I'm just really elaborating, and not Richmond American, with, with Redwood, it, it was just all about that turning on as many people as possible while turning off as few people as possible. And wow. so Nick said, I think we can do better. And I said, well, that's the working title. Um, you have until you know I land back in D.C. to come up with something better. He never did, and we've never looked back. How uh, did you choose Century 21? The, my background is, and you said this at the beginning, you know, I'm the marketing guy, I'm the growth guy. And so I'm sort of the last, my personality is the last, I'd be, I'd normally be the last person in the world interested in a franchise because I'm the guy that always thinks I can have an idea that's better. I can create branding that's better. But we started the company, it was just me in November of 02. Um, Sean joined us that summer in June of 03 when I had enough business for both of us. And then Nick joined us in November of 03 when he got done traveling. 
So it's been the three of us, Redwood Realty, you know, we're growing. At the beginning of 05, we'd recruited about 10 agents. So we were starting to experience a little bit of revenue from brokerage, but we were still, you know, deriving the most of our of our of our real income from selling houses directly. Mm-hmm. And then something happened around the summer of 2005 where in my mind the 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 market peaked so in 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 terms of demand it was kept liquid and we could, we won't go down this rabbit hole but it was kept the market was kept alive sort of for the next 2 or 3 years largely just because of the cheap money that became the um the the mortgage crisis but i i do have a theory it's worth noting that that if the if the folks selling the the loans to Wall Street would have been in tune with what was actually happening in the market. They would have realized that demand had really peaked in the summer of 05. And that's relevant to this conversation because um, agents who were considering joining us as late as the spring of 05, by the fall of 05, were not interested in us. And they were, I noticed that they were going to the more stable names. And so I was coming back from the state theater in Falls Church, Virginia, and I lived right down the street at the time. And I got the the idea somewhere on the half mile walk to my house. I got the idea of, of franchises. And I, I put in two, not applications, but two inquiries that night. One was Century 21. And the other was what had been Better Homes and Gardens, but was just bought by GMAC. What a terrible name for a real estate company. We can all mm-hmm. agree. And yeah. so the next morning, I got a call from the guy who wound up selling his franchise at Century 21, it took us, it took him like 18 months, but he called me the next morning and I can't make this up. The night before we signed the final paperwork to join Century 21, I get a call from somebody saying, yeah, this is so-and-so with uh, GMAC. Uh, I see that you put in an inquiry. And I thought, oh, are you testing me? Is this somebody else? And the guy says, no. And I said, hey, just so you know, I was a good lead. I was such a good lead that I'm actually closing on a Century 21 franchise tomorrow morning. Uh, but I, I put in this lead form, you know, 18 months ago. And you're <laughs> just getting back to me now, the, the night before I, I actually go ahead and I buy a franchise. But so, you, so the question is, though, why Century 21? First of all, I love Century 21. We've never looked back. We were 10 agents with uh, sales of probably about a hundred I don't want to put this in the right terms where we'll do about 46 million dollars in commission revenue this year and we were about a little over we we're somewhere between two and three million I don't want to misstate that and overstate wow. the growth but it is safe to say we were 10 agents doing say a top of three three million gross commissions probably lower. And now we're 450 producing 600 MLS IDs, you know, doing an excess of 45 million. So it's, it's, it's had a tremendous impact on our growth. Um, how it all happened was they, they started courting us. We strongly considered it. We met with their then CEO, Van Davis. We're extremely impressed, but we were expecting Van to like, at the end of it, we were expecting Van to, you know, offer us a big check to join Century 21. And that part didn't happen. And so when it was, when it, when it became obvious, obvious to us that this was a situation where we're going to actually be writing them a check as opposed to vice versa, we, 
we kind of stopped looking and there wasn't really a rallying call for us to, to come together. And then, and then January of 2006, we get a call from our franchise sales guy that says, Hey, I'd like you to join us at the global conference in Las Vegas, uh, this February. And first we said, no, we're not, we, we thought through it and we're not buying a franchise, but he, he just wouldn't, he wouldn't let up. So we, we, our conversation was literally, Hey, if this guy wants to send us to Vegas, you know, um, we'll, we'll go to Vegas. So he takes us to Vegas and we went into the grand, um, the MGM grand arena. And we saw at that time, this was pre-recession, like 10,000 century 21 agents and affiliates from around the world. And they had this big parade. And I think that's when Nick and I thought to ourselves, wow, this is something we need to do. And, and it wasn't, it was more than just the branding. It was, it was, what it was, was wanting to be, we realized that we weren't part of a larger group and that if we had a group of peers from around the world sharing, operating under the same flag that we could share best practices with and measure ourselves against, that that would be tremendous for our business. And and we ended up, we wound up really liking the people as well. And then we came home and we went back to the office, whatever that first day back was. And I remember Sean opened the door and he looked at us and he said, no, because Sean hadn't gone. It was just Nick and I. And he says, no, <laughs> he says, I don't care what they told you. I don't care what they did to you in Las Vegas. He says, I am not buying a Century 21 franchise. If you want this to be Century 21, Eddie and Nick, you go right ahead, but it's not going to be Century 21 Redwood Realty. I'm not in. And funny enough, over the next five months, Sean became the biggest advocate for Century 21. And if, if you had to, I'd say through thick and thin, he's always maintained the biggest advocate uh, for Century 21. Not that we don't all love our brand, but um, but yeah, he was, because he wasn't there, it was hard for us to communicate, you know, because he says, why do you want to buy a franchise? He said, well, you should have seen the, you know, the 10,000 people in the MGM Grand Ballroom that it, you can't really, um, you can't share that, those type of emotions. And so as, as we dug deeper, it became obvious that it was a good choice. If you want me to run through the others, Long and Foster was the biggest in our area at the time. They didn't, they, they weren't franchising. Weikert um, wasn't, uh, wasn't franchising. My, my, I wasn't interested in Remax for reasons that I'll leave off of the uh, the podcast, and that's kind of you go through the whole list. And at the end yeah. of the day, it's it's funny because we have one of um, our our managers is from my own hometown in Bethel Park, and when she came to me and said she wanted to go into management, she said, you know, if we don't do this. She says I'm going to open my own franchise, and it's either going to be Century Twenty One or Better Homes and Gardens. And I was like, wow, that's a because those are the same franchises that I applied to. And I said, just out of curiosity, psychologically, why did you come down to those two brands? And she says, well, that's easy. They, those were the biggest brands when we were a kid. And as I would walk around our neighborhood, all the signs were either Century 21 or Better Homes and Gardens. And so those are the ones that, um, that kind of resonated with me. And so, wow. and I, I knew that she would love Sherry Chris. And so I didn't want her to, you know, meet with Sherry. And so uh, I made a really good decision and we fast-tracked her for a management job because if she would have sat down with Sherry, she probably would have bought a Better Homes and Gardens franchise. And uh, and I didn't want to compete against Danielle. So. 
so, sorry, Sherry. Um, but <laughs> sorry, I beat you to it. Yeah, I had the relationship. Yeah. Yep. Um, was there, you know, for the three of you to, to go off into Realogy land, big company land, was there a mentor that kind of helped you show the way or kind of helped you out with questions about that, that world? So I, I love that question. I got asked that by a po- the po- first podcast I was ever on was with uh, Zvi Band, my good friend, founder of mm-hmm. Contactually had me on it. And this, whenever that date was, it was right before we had started coaching. And I told him at the time that my mentors were Sean and Nick and that we had, that I thought what made us super strong was that we were self-mentored, that we learned from each other. And as I said those words, I realized that they they were in fact a, a big differentiator between what had made us special. But I also realized as I was saying them that, wow, this sounds like a very limiting factor. And maybe part of that could be I could just feel the disappointment coming from Zvi, you know, over the uh, whatever we were recording the podcast on. And so what got us to where we were a couple years ago wasn't going to get us to the next level. And so I so to get to your answer in terms of mentors, I have a lot of people that I I look up to. I would say our mentor right now is Tom Ferry, who's also our coach. And we we fell into coaching because our mutual friend Billy Akofo, I had hired him to be our, our first ever recruiter. And Billy is so personable and he's he's a lot of things, but a hard closer is not one of them. Okay. So I thought to myself, I need to I need to introduce Billy to somebody who's really a hard closer. And I asked people, I said, who's the like toughest close them now person in real estate. Everybody said, that's easy, Mike Ferry. So I went to Mike Ferry's website and I uh, looked at his next event and Billy and I were on a flight to Las Vegas and we spent three days with Mike Ferry. I wound up getting introduced to Mike Ferry and he offered to coach us. And so he became our first coach and our first mentor. And we, we accomplished a lot under Mike's um, tutelage. First and foremost, we, we, Mike brought to the surface that the three of us weren't weren't aligned in what our goals. Like we didn't have a solid vision for what Redwood looked like in the future. We had all we had all had our individual ideas, but but you know, like like three dudes, we weren't really sharing those ideas, and we were probably subconsciously afraid that they might clash. And so Mike brought all that stuff out into the open. And I knew that Mike had accomplished what he needed to do after our fourth session, because we hung up with Mike and sorry, Mike, if you're listening to this podcast, but we said to ourselves, so what are we paying Mike for? You know, it seems like, you know, we're completely in agreement. And then we realized, wow, he's already had such an amazing effect on us because we're now so unified that we're actually, you know, again, close your ears, Mike, we're beating up on our coach afterwards. And so we we coached with Mike for, I'd say, another 18 months. And then it had kind of run its course because we weren't a Mike Ferry company. You know, we mm-hmm. our agents had joined us. And I would say at that point, we were our, our agent identity or average agent identity would be much closer to Brian Buffini, sphere based than a Mike Ferry. And so we thought 
if we roll out Mike, you know, to the whole company, we're going to lose a significant number of agents, you know? And so whether or not we want to debate if we could have gone back in time and accomplished more starting as a Mike Ferry company, that's immaterial. At the time we had, you know, two, 300 agents. And so we had to proceed. And so we went coachless for about six months. And then I was introduced through a mutual friend to Tom Ferry. And as soon as we had that first conversation, I thought I've got to convince Tom to coach us just like, um, just like I convinced his dad to coach us. And so we'd had about a six month break. And interestingly enough, our first call with, with Tom, we hung up and we said, so you're going to coach us. We were expecting the, you know, kind of him that this was a sales process. And he said, I think I'd just be taking your money. He said, um, you guys are not aligned. You know, I asked you a really, cause some really basic questions like what's your North star, where's your company in, in three years. And you guys didn't have, don't have any type of shared vision. So at this point, you guys could pay me money every single month, but if you don't have a vision for where you're going, I can't have an impact. And, and I said, okay, well, so how do we do that? Um, and he didn't have any advice. And I said, how about this? We're going to put everything together in a Google doc and I'll share it with you. Does that work? And he kind of hesitantly said, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll try that. And so we took, we kind of canceled everything. We spent the next two days came really back together, created a brilliant plan that we call the Redwood Vision that we're still using. And I shared it with Tom. And let's just say that he he agreed to be our coach. That was probably two years ago this month. So about September of 2017. And man, the stuff that we've that we've gotten through, you know, under his coaching is is phenomenal. And and he's coached that we felt very, very good rolling out and sharing our relationship with to our entire agent base because in in terms of real estate coaching right we always say we're not you know people say you're a tom ferry company and tom would say he doesn't want us to be a tom ferry company he he wants us to appeal to as wide of a base as possible and if we come into into contact with agents that we think would would work well with his coaching platform send them his way but if we have obvious brian buffini people send them to brian obvious mike ferry people send them to mike um and so that's worked out really, really well. And I, I've always said, you know, keep in mind, I was a poli-sci major for a hot second. Um, if you look at sort of the world it's at the two extremes, far left, far right, you'd have Brian Buffini. It's all about r- relationships and sphere on the one side. Mike Ferry on the other side, it's all about sales skills. And, and I think Tom fits right in the middle where he embraces this four to six plus lead strategies that agents have to can decide on how to grow their business, that there's a ton of different ways to grow your business, but you need to visualize where you want to go and put together a plan to get there. And so that's what we've kind of molded the the company around. When I think about Redwood Realty, the first word that comes to mind, you know, watching what you've done over the years, you know, from afar, but, but you know, you're, it, it's, it starts with the word relationships. And is that a fair assessment for you? Do you yeah. like to hear that? Heck, hell, oh, well, absolutely. And I, I should yeah. add that I, it, that wasn't obvious to me because keep in mind, vacuum cleaner sales is partially about relationships, but it's more about hustle. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about relationships because I always was trying to get referrals of people because when they were super excited about the vacuum cleaner, they'd refer their friends and, and I could go on a nice hot run like that. New home sales was about individual relationships. It wasn't about networking. That was about 
the builder spent all this money to drive cold traffic. And it was up to me to, you know, wow them in the model and, and put them on a lot and sell them a house. So when we started a brokerage company, I think I very much thought we would be the best brokerage because I teach everybody what I learned in new home sales. And I remember actually thinking to myself that sphere of influence was something that Long and Foster had just created because they didn't want to spend any money on marketing. And then as we started growing and I started watching the production of our top agents and realizing that it was all coming from their sphere of influence, you know, that's when, you know, we were able to take the, the, the company to the next level. I want to point this out really quick. Sorry to interrupt, but it starts with the three of you, right? Yeah. I mean, you think of, think about what you, you know, you're, you guys are 20 plus years as partners and still running strong. And when you have that leadership up above, you know, that's the first thing I see. And then it flows down to these people. You mentioned Billy or, you know, um, other people that have done some work with you. It's, it's just, it's, it's impressive to see this, this, the power of that, of that leadership and what that can do for your, the rest of your teams. Yeah, no, it's, it's, so it it is all about relationships. In fact, if you, and a lot of my relationships actually stem from events, specifically, uh, you know, how we met was actually at, at an Inman conference. And so mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember the first time we met, but what had happened was my first ever Inman conference was in San Francisco in a summertime. And I want to say that was, I'm sure I could look on a calendar and figure it out, but it was probably sometime around, I'd say it was probably Inman Connect, San Francisco, summer of say 2012, uh, which crazy enough was seven years ago. And mm-hmm. At the end of the conference, I was like, I was so enthralled the entire time. And Brad Inman said, all right, team, all right, gang, is what he would have said. We're, um, I've got a special announcement. Tickets for Inman Connect in New York City are $3.99, you know, until we close up the booth. And on top of that, anybody that joins up in the next two hours, I'm going to invite to a private networking thing at my apartment in New York City. And so I ran right to the booth and I bought my ticket. And then I never heard from Brad about where, 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 you know, when I was supposed to be at his apartment. And so I think I was the, I might've been the only person that took, that, that, that took him up on that. And so I reached out to Brad's team and I said, Hey, I bought my ticket, you know, and, and I'm supposed to get an invite from Brad. And so I got an email from Brad and Brad said, yeah, we're going to have the party instead of my apartment. We're going to have it in the um, in the the lounge at the top of whatever hotel it was at the time. And so I went up there, and and basically he had just kind of invited me to the um, to the Inman Ambassadors party, and right. and I knew nobody. I quickly figured out, and I and you and I struck up about a half hour conversation, and it it dawned on me that all right, I'm the only person that actually got excited about this, and. <laughs> And, and so everybody else was, was an ambassador. Cause I'm sure I asked people, Oh, so you bought the ticket early too. And they're like, I don't know. I'm a, I'm an Inman mm-hmm. ambassador, but man, everything, so much of what I've done in terms of growing our company is it, it, it stems from the connections I've made through Inman connect conferences. I've, I mean, so many of the products we have come from connections I made through Inman and even this, we just launched a mortgage joint venture with Loan Depot. And the only reason that I thought to contact Loan Depot was I saw their founder being interviewed on stage at Inman Connect. And it always 
because I went up there, I heard the name Loan Depot, and I thought, wow, this is a terrible name for a mortgage company. And then I, I saw the founder, you know, in his, you know, interview with Brad, and I thought, I freaking love what this guy's doing. And as we ex- examined our, mor- our mortgage partnership options for five, six years, you know, in the back of my head, I always wanted to work with Loan Depot, but I, I couldn't find any evidence that they did joint ventures. And the night before we were about to sign a different deal that I didn't completely love, I went on one more time and I Googled uh, joint ventures, Loan Depot. And here it turns out they'd, they'd done an acquisition and they now had a guy named Dan Pena that, uh, that I instantly connected with and we put it together in, say, six months. And uh, But right as, after we were launching, I realized that that was, that was directly another Inman connection that I had made. So um, I should also add if you're interested that it's about relationships, but for me, it's also about competition. I like putting myself in rooms with really smart people and challenging myself to be able to perform at their level. So this is relevant. If you go back into century 21, we bought our franchise in August of 06, and then we kind of disappeared from the scene. We, we didn't realize we were going to have to actually pay for the conferences. So when the tickets came out for the, conference in 07 and they wanted like 500 bucks a person plus you know our hotel (laughs) we're like no thank you so um and we just kind of forgot about century 21 and i guess we performed and finally we achieved what they call centurion level production and they get a call from whoever my rep at century 21 was and he said hey congratulations on being centurion you're invited to the leadership conference it's it's you know free of charge and it's in the bahamas and if it had not been the bahamas we probably wouldn't be on the call because you wouldn't really care to be talking to someone with my production level, but it was in the Bahamas and it was free. And I went to there and it's funny. I sat down at a table. There's so many coincidences here. I sat down with a table with this, you know, really nice older couple and they were sitting all by themselves up by the stage. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to be, you know, I'm this young hip guy. I'm going to sit down across from them. And, um, and it was just the three of us. And then the CEO of Century 21 at the time um, says, you know, we have a very special guest in the audience. Um, Alex Perillo and his wife are here. And then so Alex stands up and I'm at a table with Alex and Jerry Perillo. And it's just the three of us. And holy cow, is that awesome. I thought I was like, you know, hanging out with the, the nice older couple. And here it turns out I'm hanging out with the CEO of, of Realogy. And so that, that again, and, and my overarching theme, I looked around this room with a thousand some leaders in Century 21 and thought, wow, everybody in this room is outselling me. I need to find a way to change that. And then we were just, we've just been on a, like upward trajectory ever since then. And I think the same thing happened the first time I sat in Inman Connect was I felt initially overwhelmed. I remember being completely intimidated at that ambassador party. You were, you know, it's a very, you could argue a very kind of cliquish mentality. And I'm sorry if I say that, but, you know, everybody, everybody's really good friends. And you were so gracious to, you know, just strike up a long conversation. And here we are. And then I kind of, be, I like to think I'm, I'm part of the clique now. Um, and, and we've, it's just, it's just these these relationships, and for me, competitive relationships, um, I think, is what what drives me. Eddie, I've had you way too long here, <laughs> okay. so I'm gonna, and I apologize, but I want to uh, I want to ask you the same question I've asked every guest at the end of the at the end of the podcast, and that's 
If you could give one piece of advice to a new agent, what would it be? You want to find, find a way to take the vision you have for what your real estate career is going to look like and find a mentor that you feel comfortable enough sharing that vision with and be willing to listen to that mentor to avoid pitfalls that he or she sees. Because as much as I'm insanely excited about where our company is wound up, when I, I think back upon you know what is the Redwood story, we could have been much more efficient in the way that we've built the company. Um, and that would have started with having a mentor that we would have shared what our vision looked like and 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 followed their advice. So don't be afraid. Most people don't need this advice, but uh, but don't be afraid to learn from other people. So have have the have the will to stick to your guts and execute your own plan, but have the common sense to listen to people that have done it already and take into account, you know, what has worked for them and what hasn't worked for them. Doesn't mean that you have to do things exactly like them because that's not going to make you unique. That's not going to get you where you need to go. But holy cow, there are some really basic pitfalls that you can avoid just by sharing your ideas with somebody that you trust. Eddie, if somebody wants to reach out to you, they have some questions mm-hmm. or they just want to talk to you, what's the best way for them to do that? I'm gonna, I, I think call me on my cell phone, 202-815-0925. There's people that care about me that are going to bristle that I just said that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, that's, I'm, I'm a texter. So you can email me at ejb at c21redwood.com. But, um, but I'm always happy to, um, to, to share with people. So, Eddie, thank you so much. This, is, this has been amazing. I, I think there's probably going to be a part two with you. Okay, I'd you love know, it. Because uh, you and I will, will chat again sometime in the future. And uh, I thank you so much for your passion for the business. It's, uh, it's really cool to, to see what you guys have done. You introduced me to your partners, and, and it was – you know, Sean and Nick are amazing guys. And so I just uh, I love what you guys are doing. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Bill. Take care.